Milwaukee United Church of Christ presents Shaped and Reshaped, the sermon by the Rev. Gene Randall Bodman, presented on Sunday, September 8, 2019. Once upon a time, many years ago, I was an athlete. Like my brother, I ran the half mile. Like him, I qualified for the state meet, the first brother and sister duo ever to qualify for states in Pennsylvania. It was in the paper and everything. And then, a week before the big day, I was out on a training run. A seven-mile jog, just slow and easy, keeping it loose, when I suddenly went from loping cheerfully along to lying on the ground with no understanding of how I got down there. But there I was, on the path, with my right calf in searing pain. I hobbled to a phone at the end of the bridle path and called for a ride home. My mom, distracted by work, three kids, my grandfather living with us, believed me when I said, oh, no big deal, I, I, just, I just have a cramp in my calf. I kept a smile on my face as I hobbled into the field house the next day to see if I could get the trainer to stretch it out. But the coach took one look at my calf and said, you need a doctor, today, now. And there it was the great disappointment, and the secret relief of neither getting to or having to run in that state meet. I was, of course, on the one hand, deeply disappointed. I'd been working really hard. But on the other hand, running was a lot less fun once people started noticing me. It meant that every time I stepped on the track, there was an expectation that I would be faster than the day before. And there is really only so long that an athletic, but just ordinarily athletic person can keep that up. And I became afraid of disappointing everyone. So it was a relief to be injured out. But it was only a relief once I I had been assured that it was just a temporary injury and that soon I'd be back to myself and back to running. It was, in a way, the best of both worlds. I got to keep my identity and my self-understanding, my picture of myself as an athlete, and I got a break from the pressures that my coaches and I were putting on me. But for one brief moment, while I was still concerned that the grotesque popping sound I had heard with that searing pain in my calf, when I was convinced that I had permanently severed my muscle, In that moment, an abyss opened in my mind. Who will I be if I am not a runner? Will I be anyone at all? It was my first taste of that sense of vertigo that I know that we have all tasted in much more profound ways than in that simple injury. And I've been thinking a lot about that vertigo and the mystery of identity lately about what makes us who we are, about how across the stages of our lives, from infancy through older age, we are somehow still ourselves. I know we all wonder from time to time, who am I now? Now that I'm done school, 
Now that I've made that senior level at my job, now that I've lost the job I loved, now that I'm a parent, now that my children are launched, now that I'm retired, now that the older generation in my family is gone and there is no one above me shielding me. We grow, we develop strengths, we succeed and fail, we learn and gain expertise, we grow wise, we get injured and lose abilities, we get deaf, we slow down, we gain compassion and self-compassion, we learn a sense of proportion and a sense of humor, we begin to misplace our memories. And across all these changes and the myriad more, all the gains and losses of every human life, we are somehow miraculously and mysteriously still ourselves. Lord, you have searched me and known me. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes beheld my unformed substance. In your book were written all the days that were formed for me, when none of them as yet existed. As many of you know, in May of this year, my husband David and I moved my mother-in-law from her home of 50 years in Down East Maine to an assisted living facility here in Beaverton. Well, over there in Beaverton, about five minutes away from the church where David serves. Her Alzheimer's disease had advanced to the point where it was neither kind nor practical for us to let her know what we were doing. Despite the fact that her clearly stated past wishes were that she be the one to decide when it was time to move. We didn't let her know ahead of time even that we were coming for a visit. We just arrived on her doorsteps, bag, bags in hand, one Monday afternoon. We didn't tell her why, suddenly, so many people popped in for visits that week. We didn't tell her that we had packed her bags and made all the arrangements. We just told her that she was coming with us on an adventure. We drove the six hours to Boston, stayed overnight, flew to Oregon, and took her directly to a new home. Now, for all the years that they lived in that great big green house on the hill, my father-in-law hated that house. Hated it. He hated the clabbered siding, some part of which always needed painting every year. He hated the furnace that needed tinkering with, the steep driveway that was so treacherous to plow, the front yard that was so steep he had to tie a rope to the handle of his lawnmower and lower it down over the bank. But the rest of the family, the whole extended family, loves that house, Grammy's house. And to my mother-in-law, it was everything. It has her window boxes and her rock garden, her front sun porch and her music room with all her instruments, and her kitchen, the big warm kitchen where she made her famous blueberry muffins that she sold to the hospital auxiliary to raise money the kitchen where David did his homework when he was a kid, the place where Gloria, till her last day in the house, sat to read her daily paper and pour over her mail. 
That big greenhouse has stood for 200 years, surrounded by maple trees on the hill, looking across the river to a view of the town, with the steeple of the congregational church right in the middle of it. The church where Gloria, my mother-in-law, was the choir director and the handbell director, where she read scripture and served on the deacons, where she volunteered for the food pantry, where she took tickets for the Bay Chamber concerts and introduced the artists. Her own house in her own town, where everybody knew her name. It was her place, and it made her who she was. It was an awful decision, but one we had to make for her safety. So just like that, we walked her out of that world and into another one. And though the abyss of who will I be now seemed to open briefly for her, just as quickly she became herself in this new place. She is herself now with her coloring and her cozy studio apartment that she doesn't have to worry about cleaning. She loves that. Her place in the dining room and her new friends and the garden where she walks every day. And beanbag baseball. Apparently she's made the travel team. When David went to visit her the other day, they were off at another facility having a match. She is still Gloria. She's still energetic and competitive. She still has a twinkle in her eye and a sense of humor. She knows that she loves us and she knows our names, although she's not always sure what the family connection is. The former music teacher cannot remember that we moved, that the piece of furniture that we moved out of her room was a TV. She thinks it was a piano. But if we start to sing an old song or a hymn, there she is with us, her beautiful voice, soft and rich, all the words flowing. She is still she. God hems us in on every side so that no matter where we go or where we stay, the God who knows who we are is with us. The one who knows exactly how we were formed and all our possibilities, all our quirks, and our particular beauty does not leave us. And no matter what becomes broken in us, the potter who saw who we were before we were formed, who saw each of our days, makes something new out of that same clay. Now, I know I'm importing a passage from Jeremiah, and Jeremiah was not talking to an individual. He was talking to the whole people. The people were, in fact, imperiled at that time, and Jeremiah was trying to get them to attend to God and allow God to make something of them. But I think it works, that image of God the potter molding the people works for us, too. God makes something new out of our brokenness. My mother-in-law is both still herself, still competitive and energetic and fun-loving, and she is someone new. She is less critical, more easily pleased. She's able to accept help, and she is happy. She is more happy than I have ever known her in 35 years. This is the great mystery and the great good news. The God who knows us knows how we are put together. The God who knows our habits, both of behavior and mind, 
That God keeps us in her mind. So we don't have to. We don't have to worry about our identity and our worth. We are wonderfully made, each one of us, and no matter what happens to us. Just like everyone else, we can be free of the insidious comparisons our culture tries to excite. Years ago, in a lecture on the book of Job, my professor Phyllis Tribble pointed out that the besetting sin, the tragic flaw of humanity, is our great propensity to think too much of ourselves. No, wait, to think of ourselves too much. We do it constantly. Some of us do this by pride. We constantly elevate ourselves at the expense of others. We evaluate, and we evaluate to find ourselves superior. Some of us do this, keep our minds fixed on ourselves, by our self-deprecation, by our constant evaluation of ourselves as not quite, not quite good enough, as flawed and weak and less than. They really are, she said, flip sides of the same coin. Because whether we think constantly about how wonderful and superior we are, or whether we think constantly of how awful and inferior we are, we are in either case still fixated on ourselves. But our job and our joy is to stop it. To know down to our bones that each one of us in our particularity, and as we change across our lives, are fearfully and wonderfully made. And so is every other person, without exception. So I invite you to pause in your worry and your work and your labor. Even and maybe especially if your worry and your work and your labor is for justice. Because our hearts can be drained by the difficulty of the work. Pause and rest your identity in God where it can never be lost. Amen. Listen, listen, listen.